You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. All right, if you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, and we will spend uh, as much time as my voice will allow this morning. Um, or till we get to the end of this text this morning, uh, looking at the birth of Jesus. And as you know, we started last week on this series, God With Us. And I shared with you last week that it is my goal over the course of the next four weeks, uh, as the Lord would lead, to convince you of those three little words, God With Us, or as the Bible calls it, Emmanuel. To convince you that God is, in fact, just as he always has been with his people at every moment of every day. Amen? Amen? And so that's good news this morning because we are not alone. And it is encouragement to us that we don't quit, we don't give up, and that life's troubles and life's trials are all worth it because we are coming to the day that Jesus will return and we will see Him face to face. And in the meantime, He is with us even to the very end of the age until His return. We experience His presence every single day in our lives and one day that presence will be made sight when we see Jesus come on the eastern in the eastern sky. And I'm looking forward to that day. I know that a lot of you talk about that often. We get so disconnected from it at times, but... May we never forget that Jesus is, in fact, with us. The temptation in our lives when trials come is to give up. Maybe it's to give up on a marriage, to give up on parenting, to give up on fighting for a particular right thing, though that we though we know it's right. And yet it is so resisted in our lives because the enemy continues to throw up things. Whatever the case is, we're tempted to give up. But Jesus has said, I am with you. And so I'm telling you this morning that God is in fact with us, so we do not lose heart. And we certainly don't give up. Matthew 1 is the very, the very promise fulfilled that we look at, looked at last week in Isaiah chapter 7. And so if you found your place this morning, I want to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 1. Beginning in verse 18, Matthew writes, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while, the, while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. 
Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Lord, we pray this morning that as we look at your word, that we are quickened to hear from your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that as we read a a familiar passage, that we would not get lost in familiarity. But Lord, that we would be reminded fresh and new that you are the Emmanuel, that you are God with us every single day. God, thank you for your enduring and eternal presence in our lives. And Lord, those here this morning that need to experience your presence freshly, I pray that that would happen for them. God, that this would not just simply be another story from your word and another Christmas season, but I pray that you would really make yourself known in lives this year. Lord, we know that only you can do that. There may even be some here this morning who don't know Jesus, whose presence is not with them. And I I pray that today they would turn from sin and trust Christ for salvation. May this be that day. And God, I thank you for what you're going to do in this place. But we give you glory and honor to you and to you only. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We tend to skip over things in Scripture sometimes, I think. Either passages that are familiar or things that seem um, unimportant or uh, distant from us. One of those things is the first chapter of Matthew. Uh, We tend to go to Luke chapter 2 to hear the Christmas story, possibly because it's more unique or it's more detailed. Um, That's the place that we generally go. But Matthew 1 is is, is also a place that contains the Christmas story for us. But we tend to jump immediately to Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 if we read Matthew 1 at all. And we skip all of the begots. Anybody ever been guilty of doing that? (laughs) All right, be honest now. Quit lying to the preacher. Anyway, uh, we skip over all the begot, 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 as if all of those things are just history that we get past so we can get to what really means something to us. But if we jump over the genealogy of Matthew chapter 1, we will, in fact, miss the meaning and the whole message of Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. The in, in the genealogy... Jesus is described as one who is both the son of Abraham and the son of David. The son of the one to whom all of the promises of Israel were given. In his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. There was land, there was people, and there was blessing promised to Abraham. And that that nation is the same nation on which David would, would be the king. 
And there would be an eternal throne, a kingdom that would have no end. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these things. For Matthew says in verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity until the Christ are 14 generations. In other words, Jesus, if you trace all of this lineage, which we don't have time to do this morning, but if you trace all of the lineage, you will discover that Jesus is, in fact, in the line of Abraham and David. He is the one who has the human birthright and the divine birthright to be the Messiah, the chosen of God. But it is different than the genealogy that we see in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 presents Mary's genealogy. But if you'll notice as you read through this, that we have Joseph's genealogy. It's very different. The second difference is that Luke gives the human ancestry of, through, through Joseph. But Matthew focuses on legal ancestry. In other words, that he would become the legitimate successor to the throne of David. Jesus rightly deserves that place. You'll also notice what else Matthew does, which is very interesting. There are four women included in the passage, in the genealogy. It's very different than any other genealogy in New Testament history or or in biblical history. Most of the time, genealogies did not include women. It's not how they counted them. But notice in verse 3 that Matthew includes Tamar. Verse 5, Matthew includes Rahab. Verse 5, Matthew also includes Ruth. And in verse 6, he includes Bathsheba. But not only are these any women, they're all women that had some sort of illegitimacy or um, extramarital kind of activity included with their lives. For instance, Rahab was known as the harlot. And Bathsheba, we know her sin with David. And so these women are not upstanding in character, at least ones that we would look at as model women. Interestingly enough, most of them. It's amazing that they would be included from both a social standpoint and a moral standpoint. And yet the history of Israel was littered with these kinds of people all across the the history of the nation. When the legitimacy of their marriage or their children was in question, Of course, culminating in Bathsheba, that was what stained the throne and the kingship. And so you've got to know that there are rumors that were flying around Israel about Solomon. Does he have the right to ascend the throne? And how could he have the right being in this this whole this whole uh, saga, this whole scandal? How could Solomon take the throne? And so I don't think that Matthew includes these rumors on accident or these stories on accident. Side note, praise God, the gospel is not defined by human labels, but instead the gospel is defined and champions God's grace as the measure of the worth and merit of our lives. Praise God that that Bathsheba ultimately was not defined by the mistake that she once made, but rather that she was forgiven ultimately in Christ. 
Praise God that Rahab the harlot turned away from her harlotry and trusted, trusted God, followed after God and ultimately was saved through Christ. Praise God for that. And you and I, no matter what our lives look like and no matter how stained they may be, we are saved from our sin to Christ for the glory of God to be conformed to the image of Jesus, to be one day placed before the throne and be be acceptable unto God. Praise God for that. You and I are able to in the gospel. But it's interesting, nonetheless, that Matthew includes these women. He's likely connecting the concerns of the illegitimacy of their children and their marriages to the illegitimacy of Mary. If you continue reading, we find the same concerns about Mary. When it was said that she is found to be with child. But we want, we, Matthew wants to be clear that it's not child of a man, but child of the Holy Spirit. The only thing that connects the four women together with Mary is this illegitimacy. Matthew in verse 18 says it was before they came together though. In verse 19 Joseph wanted to put her away secretly. In verse 20, we're told that, that Joseph, is, Joseph is told rather not to be afraid, but to take Mary as his wife. He would have tried to put her away because of what the law stated. Verse 23 is very clear that, that she is a virgin. In other words, what Matthew, the entire first three chapters really of Matthew is communicating to us is that although there is all of this illegitimacy, In the life of Israel, that Jesus is legit. Jesus is in no terms illegitimate. In terms of the law, he is legal. In terms of sonship, he is the rightful heir. In terms of reason and argument, Jesus is valid. There is no sense in which Jesus can be declared illegitimate. And if that is the case, then Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah King, not a Messiah King, not one who would come later. But Jesus was God in human flesh, the promised of God, the chosen of God, Messiah King, the one who would reign forever and whose kingdom would have no end. And so he is the chosen and promised of God. So what Matthew does now is he takes that idea And he reinforces it multiple times throughout the next two chapters. The end of chapter 1 and chapter 2 and all of chapter 3. He reinforces that by pointing to five different Old Testament passages. He talks about the wise men in chapter 2 and quotes Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. He talks about the flight into Egypt in chapter 2. Quoting Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1. He talks about Herod's massacre of all of the newborn babies, all male children under two, and quotes Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 15. And then the announcement of John the Baptist, all of chapter three, that story of the baptism and all that is there is just simply a prophecy fulfilled from Isaiah chapter 40 and verse three. But then, of course, there is this one where Matthew quotes from Isaiah chapter seven that we saw Last week, it's in verse 22, verse 23, you'll see it there when he says all this was done that it might be fulfilled. What that what might be fulfilled? Verse 23, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. 
A direct quotation from Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. In other words, all of the promise of the fullness of God being God with us, the fact that God would never abandon His people, all of the fullness of that promise is found in Jesus Christ. Much like the New Testament says that all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. God with us is finds all of its fullness in Jesus. We are brought near to the presence of God. We talked about last week that as you hear the promise of the Old Testament, God is with them in a pillar and a cloud. He's with them in a tabernacle, but still distant, not in the New Testament. In the New Testament, we behold him face to face. Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. And in order for Matthew to say explicitly that the one who is God with us is Jesus, he calls him by name twice. Notice it there in verse 21. He shall call his name Jesus. The same thing in verse 25. When Joseph obeyed the Lord, there is no question what his name would be. That Jesus was in fact God in human flesh. But don't miss the significance of the name, by the way. When Jesus is the one whom he would be called, it's the Greek transliteration of Yeshua in the Hebrew. Joshua, which means Yahweh is salvation. This is not just a connection to Jesus as the one who is God with us. He is the redeeming presence of Israel. He is the one who has come to save Israel from their sins, for he will save his people from his sins. Verse 21, it is the reality that this spiritual salvation that that Jesus was bringing, God's salvation of his people was going to remove alienation. What was once distant and separated is now brought close. Ephesians 2 tells us that he was that he brought down the wall of separation and has brought us to God. Peace with God through Jesus, through the blood of his cross. And so the reality is that last week, this general promise of God never abandoning his people becomes a very specific promise to the people of God in the New Testament. Jesus is God's promised redeeming presence among his people. He is God's promised redeeming presence among his people. The promise of Scripture is God will not abandon us, but he has done so. He has fulfilled that promise in Jesus. We don't look anywhere else to find God, but in Christ. If you look out in creation, you will see pieces and pictures of God, but they're nothing compared to the express image of God in Jesus Christ. Many people look for different paths to God through good works or through church or through different things. But at the end of the day, the only way to God is through Jesus, the son. He is the presence of God among us. And we can know that this promise is true because Jesus has come. Implications are so wide and we'll look at these more fully next week. But certainly the implications of that truth is that sin is no more and salvation is made whole for those of us who are in Christ. Jesus being God's presence with us says we don't fear God's presence anymore. We love God's presence. We enjoy God's presence because he's come to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and to set us free. It's the good news of the gospel. 
But at the same time, it is the promise that God is making all things new in Christ. All of the brokenness in our lives, all of the failures that we have, all of the trials that we experience, the cancer and the the terrorism and all of this stuff around our in our world that just seems like everything is falling apart. God is, in fact, making all things new in Christ, and he made that promise good when he sent Jesus Christ to save his people. So we have hope this morning. Matthew then offers four primary proofs of the legitimacy of Jesus being God with us, that it is no one else but Christ. He offers four primary proofs and you'll find them throughout this text. So I want to see those this morning as the proofs of Jesus being God with us. Proof number one is the miracle of God, the miracle of God. Verse 18 When he says the birth of Jesus is as follows. After his mother was betrothed, after after his mother, Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about in your world, but in my world, that's a pretty big miracle. (laughs) Um, We're not going to get real specific with that this morning because there's kids in the room. But at the end of the day, if Mary came up pregnant, it was a miracle. We were just talking about this morning someone uh, doing uh, some medical process to be able to become pregnant. And that in itself is a miracle. But it pales in comparison to the miracle of the virgin birth. As you read through this text, you'll see several key indicators as you look at at the, the quote from Isaiah, the virgin birth, meaning literally young woman. But we know that this is virginity. It's the picture that she had never been with a man ever And yet she became pregnant. Um, The term virgin birth, by the way, is somewhat of a misnomer. Uh, Virgin birth meaning that there was a virgin conception. Uh, Mary, Mary, the, the, the virginity portion applies to the conception. If you misapply that, you come up with some false doctrines of our of our day, like the perpetual virginity of Mary, as if Mary never had a child or as if Mary never had relations with a man. That's simply nowhere in this text. She she was uh, she had Jesus, but had never been with a man. Then you see this picture of betrothal, uh, a legitimate um, uh, engagement of the day. It says that Mary was betrothed to Joseph. It means that she would have probably still been a young teenager. Joseph may or may not have been somewhat older or considerably older than her. But engagement in ancient Judaism was legally binding. It was something that could not be separated. It was like a marriage. That's why Matthew can say her husband, Joseph, because it was just like it would be her husband. And yet, still, they waited until that marriage ceremony until they consummated the marriage. She was yet a virgin. There's a uh, phone call that I received last year. And you should think about this virgin birth. This is so miraculous. Last year, um, I was outside putting up Christmas lights. Some of you have heard this story um, on all of our trees. Which, by the way, if you're interested in that, we need some help doing it. Um, anyway, that's a whole other picture. A whole other story. But putting up Christmas lights, I get a phone call. And... Um, and so I answer the phone. It's my wife. And uh, she says, is anybody around you? I'm going, huh? No. Um, and then, she, you know, the next thing is I should sit down. She doesn't say that, but I'm kind of kind of rocking back on my heels. What is she about to say? And she says, hey, we're pregnant. And I go, 
Really? Um, that's a surprise. Um, and so, yes, and before you ask, we know how that whole thing happens. But at any rate, um, so, so Adam was a surprise. I never planned. Um, but here we are a Christmas later saying, hey, we have Adam. But this virgin birth was far more miraculous than that. I'm just saying to you, it was a surprise. And so we can explain it away and we can have all these kinds of theories that say it's not true, it's not real. But the reality is... It is real, and it's actually an integral part of our understanding of Christmas. Jesus is God with us, fully man, fully divine. The only way that's possible is through the virgin birth. His Father, in essence, is God the Father through the work of the Holy Spirit. Not Joseph, but He became Joseph's son by legal adoption, essentially, whereby He could meet the requirement of being the legal heir to the throne, which is crazy and it's the sovereign plan of God, but it is a miracle, the miracle God did to confirm that Jesus was the chosen Messiah. And so he could meet all of the demands. And so we have the miracle of God. Secondly, the announcement of the messenger, the announcement of the messenger So Joseph discovers that Mary is pregnant and naturally he assumes she's been unfaithful to him. He's afraid. He's thinking about putting her away. Uh, The law called him to divorce her. That was the right thing to do. And so before he could do anything, the angel comes to him and Joseph is called, by the way, a righteous man. He'd not violated any of the laws, which says that he was he was um, he was sexually pure. So he'd not violated Mary at the same time. His hiding of Mary was not an unrighteous move. But the angel comes and changes Joseph's plans. We see there in verse 20, But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Angel comes in a dream. Angels did that often in the Bible. Came in a dream and told Joseph that he was uh, righteous, yes, in his desires, and yet Mary was righteous in her ways, and that the Holy Spirit had given had given conception to Mary. That the Holy Spirit had caused this baby to be placed in her womb, and so. Joseph, without any kind of fear, obeys the angel. But the picture is that this angel, the only time angels come in the New Testament or in the Old Testament is when they have a message from God. And so he commands Joseph not to divorce Mary, but to go ahead and marry her. And the child would become his legal heir. And then the calling of his name, Jesus, the one who came to save the nation from their sins. Anytime there is an announcement made by an angel... It is like a stamp of approval that God has, in fact, declared this to be right. So the angel says, take Mary, your wife. So not only the announcement of the messenger and the miracle of God. Third, the witness of Scripture, the witness of Scripture. Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14, as we've already looked at, quoted, mentioned that. But Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Isaiah wants to emphasize, and Matthew in turn wants to emphasize Jesus as God with us. 
The fact that deity is not far from us, but immediately with us, imminently with us in Christ. Too often, those who rightly want to make much of God put him in a place that is so totally distant from man. And this is what is so unique about the Christian gospel. Every other deity on the planet, so-called deity on the planet, the solution to a relationship with God is ultimately us somehow finding a way to Him. Even to the point that the world wants to really water it down and say, say there's all kinds of paths to God. You go your way, someone else can go their way. Eventually it all comes to the same place. It's not true. Because the Christian Gospel gives the exact opposite message. The Christian Gospel says that there is none who seek after God. Not one that is righteous. None of us are trying to find Him in our own nature. In fact, it is just the opposite. It is God who came seeking us. It is God who came pursuing us. God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He didn't come expecting us to measure up, but rather He merited salvation for us. He lived the life that you and I could never live. And He went to the cross to die the death that you and I deserved. So when this passage is quoted, it is a stamp of approval that this, in fact, is the witness of Scripture. Scripture is always giving witness to the truths of Christ. Scripture is always the authority on which we interpret every other message. And Scripture is here to prove that Jesus is the one who is God with us. And the fourth proof quickly The obedience of God's people. Notice what Joseph does. And this is almost startling. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. And did not know her until they brought forth their firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Well, that's kind of matter of fact, isn't it? Does that strike you in the same way it does me? Joseph is... All of a sudden discovered his wife's pregnant. And there's no explanation for it. I mean, really, think about it, man. If you came home and your wife said, hey, I'm pregnant, and you knew there wasn't any way, wouldn't it be a little crazy to you? That'd be a little nuts. And he goes to sleep, and he wakes up with a change of heart? Only God's Spirit can do that. It's proof that Jesus is God with us because it actually inspired, invoked the obedience of a husband who just moments ago this was crazy. And now his heart's changed and he believes God. You see, when God's spirit gets involved, when God's presence is there, there is some radical obedience from God's people. Just doing things that are unheard of, unexplainable apart from that. So those four things remind us that Jesus is God's God with us, the Emmanuel. But it brings about some really, really contemporary relevance for us. I was asked a question recently in in a person's life. They said, has God left me, left us? See, abandoned me. 
And that question, of course, as you look at the witness of Scripture, is if you're a child of God, no, God has not abandoned you. But we want, we want as human beings, we want some evidence of that, don't we? We want to know that God is there in our lives. Don't these four proofs here in the New Testament actually become evidences even to us? You think about it. When God is doing the miraculous in our life, when things that happen to us, through us, are unexplainable apart from God doing it, then God's there. Whenever there is an announcement of a messenger, whenever this book is heralded faithfully by people in our lives and ultimately pastors in our lives, then God is there because God accompanies the going forth of His Word. Whenever there is a witness from the Scripture that, that proves or demonstrates reality of righteousness in our life, Whenever the witness of the Scripture is consistent with our, with, with our lives, God is there. And whenever there is radical obedience from God's people in the church, in our own personal lives, in our families, when we obey in ways that don't even make any sense, God is there. I hope that that is an encouraging thing to you this morning. I hope that You're seeing God in ways that can't be explained in human terms. I hope that the Scripture is bearing witness to your life that that is true and right. I hope that you're hearing consistently the proclamation of God's Word and seeing it come to fruition in your life. And I hope that you're obeying God in radical ways. And yet I'm fully aware this morning that there are some in this room who are in that category and there's others in this room who are in the opposite category. Who would say to me, Pastor, I don't... I don't sense the presence of God in my life. This morning the invitation is twofold. If, if that's you this morning, you'd say, I, I know God's with me and He's doing miraculous things. Would you just simply fall on your face and worship Him? Because none of that credit belongs to you. It doesn't belong to me. It only belongs to Christ. And it says that He is the Christ who is God with us. But if you're in that other category this morning... You need to fall on your face before a holy God simply with the prayer. Here I am to worship. I'm here to worship you because I need you. You're all that I need and I need all I need is you. God, I need you to do a work in my life because I, I, I don't feel your presence in my life. For some of you this morning, that's because you've never trusted him as Lord and Savior. And there's a great chasm between you and God. It's your sin And for all of us, that's who we are. Our sin separates us from God and we need a Savior. The promise of Christmas is that He will come this morning and He will save you from your sins. For others of us in this room, you're you're a follower of Jesus and you just feel far from God. You just need to come and bow before Him this morning. Repentance and trusting Him more fully today. And God will answer your request. It may not be right now in this moment. It may not be tomorrow. But you will again sense His presence in your life. It's not him that's messed up. It's you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, that is the invitation that you would come and bow before the God who is your maker, Christ who came to save you, and that you would repent and trust him today.
In just a few moments, Debbie is going to play. I don't know what position you find yourself in. But the only response this morning to God's word is obedience. So where are you? Where's your heart? Have you paused long enough to even think about it? Is your prayers we sang this morning come not long expected Jesus or is it something else? You just can't find the place to pray. You just don't feel like praying. You just feel like quitting. Whatever the case is in your life, today is the day that you come before the God who is able to make it right. Just simply and surrender. So with every head bowed and every eye closed all across the room, the music is going to play. And as we stand together, I'm going to pray. And you begin to move and respond. The altar is open. Lord, I pray that you would have your way in this place. That hearts would be changed and aligned with yours. And I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ. Thank you.